you know, he always explains how he first met the Salvation Army where they went to the Denelkin Aboriginal Reserve and um, they bought hammer and nails. They didn't bring the Bible. They mm. see, saw what the need was and they addressed the need first. Welcome to season three of the Surrender podcast. I'm Craig Petty. And I'm Charlene De Los Santos. Together, we're the directors of Surrender, a collective of people and organisations carrying a message to motivate, support and equip us to live out the radical call of Jesus amongst the margins. In this podcast, we're providing a platform for conversation and storytelling as we hear from some friends who embody this message. While we might not always agree with everything we hear from one another, what we desperately want to do is create a space to listen and to learn and to find Jesus in the centre of it all. This episode, we're talking the Salvation Army's development of a reconciliation action plan as part of the cultural competency framework, which engages every level of the organisation nationally and is empowering cultural change. Well, welcome to Shirley Kongu and Sue Hodges here on the Surrender Podcast. Thanks so much for making the time with us tonight. So excited to have you on. Um, Just to start off with, can you just share where you're actually podcasting from? Uh, Hi, Charlene. It's uh, Shirley Kongu. I'm in Townsville, North Queensland, uh, the land of the Wakarukaba people, and they call their country Falgari Wadja. So, yeah, coming to you from here and I'm actually the the general manager of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander team uh, and I lead a team of eight staff. They are based in each of the different states and territories across Australia and, uh, yeah, just really blessed that um, I have an awesome team who probably make me look good uh, just with all the beautiful work that they're doing uh, out across each state and territory. So our uh, team works across social programs, uh, enterprise and ministry, supporting the Salvation Army to become culturally competent, capable and responsive, which is the key in the front line, being responsive uh, to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples uh, and the communities in which we serve. Mm. I'll get Sue to explain a bit more about um, herself and uh, what she does. Hi guys, hi Charlene and Craig and all our wonderful listeners out there. So I'm Sue Hodges, knee west, um, and I'm a Wiradjuri woman, but I'm um, living on the wonderful lands of the Wabical people here in Newcastle. And um, yeah, I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past and present and the new ones coming through, the emerging elders too. Yeah, so I'm the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Engagement Coordinator. I'm based at Redfern and, um, yeah, I've been with the Salvos now since 2017. We also have uh, one youth worker based in Townsville and he leads a leadership and resilience program for for young males uh, addressing suicide, school attendance and health and wellbeing. Mm. And we're about to start a three-year trial for a coach mentoring program, uh, just working with families, identifying goals and journeying with them uh, to succeed. So this has been a collaborative approach with uh, Crossway Baptist Church based in mm. Melbourne uh, who own the program. And uh, we just collaborated over a two-year period to indigenize it. I don't know if indigenize is the word, but it is tonight. It's fantastic. 
And we've got to know you too a little bit, which has just been a delight, I've got to say. It's been great to hear about yourselves, your stories and your work. Before we sort of cut into some um, some other questions, I just got something that I want to resolve for myself, if you can help me. And that is, when when would it be good for me to use the term auntie? And when is it best just left out? Can you help with my cultural intelligence, please? Well, Cheryl, do you want to answer that or? You're older than me, see? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> see, this is, this is what it comes down to. It, it's starting to get to a really sensitive issue for me because um, once you're over 55, you're normally referred to as an elder in our community. So mm -hmm. I am an elder. And, mm -hmm. um, and I guess, you know, that, that would be um, something that I think it could be a little bit different in some communities than others. Mm -hmm. But um, in a lot of a lot of places I get called Annie Sue. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's... Um, it usually comes with a sign of respect and and an acceptance of the knowledge that you bring. Um, so there would be elders in the community, I guess, that um, might might um, might not have that title. It really, is something I believe that is uh, earned. Mm. Um, but we would normally use auntie or uncle instead of Mister or Mrs. Mm. And that was something that was always culturally appropriate in our community. And mm. I'm happy for you to call me Sue or Annie Sue. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm always honoured if people call me Annie Sue, but um, it's really mm. up to you if you want to do that. Mm. Yeah, yeah and just sure. to reiterate on, and, and it's different in each area. Uh, sometimes you'll be led by how people are introduced to you. I think mm. it's all, and you, you don't realise a lot of this type of um, protocol uh, like Sue was referring to until you get a bit older because we'd be calling lots of people, you know, uncle and auntie and like my, my kids do, my grandchildren do, but they know there's this distinct of who's actually blood related and, and who's not. That to them, it's very, you wouldn't think so. And I didn't sort of realise it until... Like my, my grandchildren, uh, they've got lots of grandfathers, lots of grandmothers, but they know like my husband is the grandfather and, uh, you know, like I'm referred to as big mum, uh, you know, to a lot of kids. So I think it's, uh, yeah, the, normally it's introduced. If you're ever unsure, just ask. Like that's mm. the best thing and people will respond. Some people may not want to be called Arnie and that's okay and that's why mm. it's always good, I think, just to ask. Uh, you know, how, how would you like me to refer to you as mm. auntie or missus? Mm. Mm. And how would you like me to refer to you, Shirley? Oh, you can call me auntie too. Actually, All right. Sue won an award in the Salvation Army as yeah. being the auntie of the Salvationist. Yeah, wow. There you go. There you go. What, a, what an honour that is. What an honour. Yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. It was so lovely to get that award. The Salvation Army's RAP plan was launched last year in 2020. It's come about as part of a whole journey. And I'd just love for you to be able to help us uh, learn about that journey of how the Salvos got to that stage and what's been a part of that. I'm going to throw to Annie Sue first. Well, you know what, that's Annie Shirley's part. She knows about that because she... <laughs> See, I've only been on board since 2017. 
uh-huh. and not making out like she's real old or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but she, she has been on this journey for a long time, as you'll find out when you hear her answer to that. Yeah, so I suppose it is a journey and it's a part of the history of the Salvation Army. And, um, yeah, even I consider myself new to it because uh, the person who who led this and continues to lead us is um, Uncle Vince Ross. And, you know, he always explains how he first met the Salvation Army where they went to the Denelican Aboriginal Reserve and um, they bought hammer and nails. They didn't bring the Bible. They see, mm. saw what the need was and they addressed the need first. And, mm. you know, God God done the rest. And he is, oh, 75 plus. So that's how long he's been with the Salvation Army, but has also led uh, at a national level for Uniting Congress with uh, the Uniting Church. Mm. So, yeah, that for me, that's he's, he's the pinnacle of everything. And I do what I do and I'm constantly encouraged by Uncle Vince. It would be 12, 13 years ago when I first came to the Salvation Army. We had the Eastern Territory, which was uh, Queensland, New South Wales, ACT, and the rest was called the Southern Territory. And uh, we had a combined uh, reference group at the time, and Uncle Vince was leading that. And uh, we had a few people pulled together. Uh, Brooke Prentice was a part of that. We identif- we workshopped and identified uh, eight key priorities or where we felt the Salvation Army in our respective territories, uh, what direction they should be heading and what we felt uh, as Aboriginal people at that particular time. Uh, So as a part of that, um, yeah, we journeyed with both territories and we had our Reconciliation Action Plan or a wrap in the old Eastern Territory uh, before we, we launched our national one. We became one Salvation Army three years ago and now we have a national wrap. Uh, But leading up to that, uh, when we heard they were restructuring, Uncle Vince, myself and a few other reference group members, uh, we just said, well, you know, we feel we should put something forward of how we feel, uh, what direction the Salvation Army should look like in a national level. So we wrote wrote, um, a nine-page proposal to the Salvation Army uh, saying this is what we wanted, uh, this is what it means in the context of the Salvation Army, uh, and this is how we can do it. Uh, so we, we were able to meet with them with leadership on a few occasions and just said, look, we believe in self-determination and this is what it looks like in the context of the Salvation Army and we unpacked uh, that letter. And they um, were very receptive to that and have been ever since. I think it was three months later, we had some senior staff attend one of our reference group meetings and leadership had agreed to the proposal that we put forward. So we've been on that journey ever since then, to see that come to fruition. Everything we had in the proposal um, is now in work So, mm. as a part of that. So the, the Reconciliation Action Plan was actually a part of That was the first thing uh, we identified. And um, so we worked with the project team last year to do consultations because of COVID, we couldn't do face-to-face consultations. So the Salvation Army... Um, actually funded a reconciliation project officer to lead it for us and that was uh, Lucy Davis uh, based in Brisbane and was in our team at the time and got seconded across and uh, so she led virtual yarning circles online uh, with over a thousand salvationers from our board members to people in our community so at every level of the organisation it was quite 
amazing what we've done, I think, as a team to actually map all that out, every level of the organisation, organization to ensure we had a voice uh, from those particular people. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we were able to launch our wrap. Uh, an artwork was developed and we felt at the time that that should be done by a salvationist. Uh, Sue Hodges is, was one of the um, contributing artists. Uh, Terence from our team who leads the youth work. Tanita Page in Port Augusta, South Australia. Emma Park. And Emma Park who works in design and branding. And um, we then had a consultation with uh, 40 salvationists around what they seen reconciliation was. And we were able to pull all that together and that was the brief that we gave the artist and said, look, this is what we need something developed from this. So we've got an amazing piece of artwork and also a beautiful story behind it. So we had fresh water, salt water, desert people, Torres Strait people, Aboriginal people, so very diverse input Mm -hmm. into uh, the artwork itself. And it has a very special meaning for uh, the whole of the Salvation Army. Yeah. Yeah, I think like having the non-Aboriginal lady and an elder like myself and... Then we had, you know, young people and it was just a great combination of all ideas coming together to put that piece of artwork in. Mm. I mean, there's so many things that I love about that process, even the fact that it, that the nine-page document was, it was initiated uh, by you, but then it was heard at the highest levels of the organisation, but it didn't just sit on a shelf up there but you managed to engage a thousand people in the yarning circles for it actually to to come to life, I guess, in a way. So can you just describe a little bit more of the content of those yarning circles? Like what was the purpose and how was it executed? And I think you might've shared another time that you actually thought that it, it ended up being better on Zoom because of the reach that you had. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Then you would have had it. So we had uh, Lucy who was leading it and then we had um, also there was Sue Hodges, uh, Terence White, and we actually trained up some non-Indigenous people to lead the yarning circles also so that we, uh, as a part of that consultation, and they done a brilliant job. Like we were just so proud of them yeah. and they were quite surprised themselves in just their uh, confidence to be able to do it because we did develop a manual and uh, also mm-hmm. done some training with them. And mm-hmm. then we had someone support them when they were uh, doing the, the yarning circles online. And, yeah, I, I think we did have a lot more reach than we would have done otherwise uh, if we didn't do it online. Um, so really they, it started off with um, the history of the journey of reconciliation historically for Australia because it, the churches did play a big part in that. And so we wanted to recognise that and also uh, some of the key Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who were part of the Reconciliation Council. Yeah, so it gave that journey to start with and then it was unpacking with uh, the people in the yarning circles of, um, you know, what worked, what didn't work and what could work. Mm-hmm. And uh, so all, all of these were recorded and we were able to get a young uni student in who came in and collated all the information and pulled out themes and uh, that helped form the rap itself. So, yeah, that, that was really good and we used, used that really heavily. And I was speaking to a, um, a national manager today and 
she said when she read the document, you could actually tell because she's she's read raps for over 20 years and all the organisations she's worked for. She said, but you could actually tell this was written uh, from an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspective because mm. it wasn't this highfalutin document. It was like a real, yeah, real uh, perspective from our people that was mm. uh, all through the document. Mm. Yeah, that's a great result. Anissi, did you have anything to add to that journey to the wrap or to um, what it's been like when it's been launched? Yeah, so um, so there's been other wraps in, in the Salvation Army. There's the 2015 to 2017 innovative wrap that comprised the New South Wales, Queensland and ACT. Um, and it had um, only Cindy Orsop's um, image. Mm. A lot of people would be quite familiar with that, the reconciliation image that we've used. And then there was, um, then there was the one from Victorian Division featuring the artwork of the gum leaves. And mm. it was put together by Nara Kate um, Murray. And, and, that, and then there was the 2021 20, Reflect Wrap that we have. And that was, uh, there was that one that was done in Tassie and it featured the artwork of called Unfinished Business. Mm. And it was put together by Alan Mansell. Um, so this wrap that we've got, and like I said, it had uh, the artwork of our artists that put that one together with the the cross in the middle. And it was just Jesus woven right through the mm -hmm. whole process. Um, so the wrap is a, is a strategic document, right? And it supports an organization's business plan. It included lots of practical actions that drives the organization mm -hmm. and um, its contribution to reconciliation, both internally and in the communities in which we operate. So it shows the commitment to reconciliation, which highlights the vision that this, that this organization has um, for reconciliation. And, and, you know, it's a faith-based movement, um, really committed to social justice, equity and freedom. Our reconciliation action plan is our organisation's approach to just to elevate reconciliation. Mm. Everyone can talk about reconciliation. They can say, yeah, we're a part of this journey, but where it was, it was good. And listening to Arnie Shirley and the journey that they were on, this kind of took it to another level. So lots of lots of support financially and physically has been put in towards our um, our wrap. So the Salvation Army's wrap is just committed to um, the engagement with our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and, and our, our reconciliation initiatives. So I'm not sure if you knew this, but there are four different types of wraps. No, I didn't know. The organisation can, can actually um, develop. So there's the Reflect the innovative, the stretch and the elevate. So the Salvation Army chose to implement an innovative wrap. So according to Reconciliation Australia, which are the mob that we had to negotiate with, and I think Lucy and Annie Sherl and others had been in there negotiating with that mobs and, and uh, just helping us put together what we needed. So this innovative wrap involved commitments that allow our organisation to be inspirational and innovative. Mm -hmm. Really key words there. Mm -hmm. So it focuses on empowering our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, developing really strong relationships 
And that's at all levels. You know, it's like mm. if you're a line manager working with a staff member who is Indigenous, if you're a caseworker working with an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander participant in the program, it's about forging and, and really strengthening those relationships and more, you know, like I think with um, when you think about that process, we've put a lot of work into the cultural competency and capability framework. And under that, we have um, a number of um, strategies that go in there to, uh, you know, to be able to be used within the Salvation Army to make these uh, actions come um, to fruition. Now, the outcomes of those conversations, we were sitting, you know, in our yarning circles. We talked to groups in Tasmania and Northern Territory and South Australia and Western Australia, all different states and territories. And they were also involved in their own particular stream. So the homeless stream, the youth and kids ministry, uh, you know, um, women, women's ministries and men's ministries and, and core officers and heads of different departments. So people were already on the same page and they were looking at what's currently happening in their own space and what could be done better. So it just all really worked well. And, and when we had people say things like, oh, I didn't know that happened, you know, I, I didn't realise that happened in Australia's history to Aboriginal people. Mm. I didn't know about these massacres. I didn't know about them not being able to go to school and, and be involved in university. Therefore, we started to build the cultural learning standard. Mm. And under that, we developed the handbooks that people could use. And then we also looked at how we could um, include for them uh, training and development that would build their capacity, build their knowledge. So um, Annie Shirley was doing this before I came on board, but we have a cultural immersion where we take cadets who are training to be pastors out on country and work with them for a week and run them through programs like the Australians together as well as um, the, the cultural competency and capability um, uh, course. So then what we end up with, people coming out the other end, a lot more empowered, mm. a lot more knowledgeable, and mm. and it's coming from a faith-based perspective too. Mm. So it's got God in it, you know. Mm. And um, and I think the other beautiful thing is that when we looked at um, employment and retention, HR came along, looked at what are we currently doing. You know what? We don't even know how many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people we have working in this organisation. We need to build a little um, a little. Uh, program where when you become employed with the Salvation Army, you can go on and you can identify as being Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander or, um, you know, if you if you'd rather not say that's fine too, we're not saying it's mandatory that you have to do that, but it's also about helping us identify how many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people we have working within the Army, then how are we going to support them? How are we going to retain them? Mm. You know, so mm. so lots of things came out of the yarning circles as um, as we talked about, and that's where we've put together this cultural competency and capability framework, which is now driving the work that we do. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I just love that that you've actually created something on the basis of listening and working together, and being able to address legitimate needs that you've discovered inside of your community the other thing we sort of said to the army was um where are we bring particular subject matter expertise to the table 
Mm. So um, in relation to, you know, cultural perspectives. But the organisation owns the RAP, the organisation owns the cultural capability framework, uh, HR own the recruitment and retention standard. So we wanted the organisation to own it and mm. we work with them. More of this conversation in the next episode. But right now, how does this reconciliation journey impact the communities or organisations you're in? What have you noticed? What have you seen? What have you heard? Pathways for taking action at surrender.org.au.